Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. I like the Christmas season. I, I know a lot of us do. Uh, obviously, the lights, the, the presents, the decorations, it's all, um, it's all very fun. Um, and it's a holiday that the whole country gets into. I mean, we're just saturated in it for weeks uh, leading up to it, and so there's all kinds of preparation. There's all kinds of anticipation, which, which just adds to the excitement. And the whole holiday is just saturated with uh, Christian symbols and stories. I mean, the sto- even the story of Santa Claus is... Root is rooted in a true story of a priest that used to give money to the poor, the, uh, the Christmas trees, like all of it, it has got some kind of Christian heritage connection, which is neat. But more and more, one of the reasons that I like Christmas is just that it is this kind of almost all-sensory reminder that we wait for Jesus' return. Uh, the word Advent means coming. And so in the first advent, they were waiting for the first time that Jesus would come. And really, we are in the second advent, meaning we are waiting for the second time that Jesus will return. And, and as I have grown older, um, just—and I, this, I think just happens as you get older— but your, your awareness or your experience of, um, of pain, of suffering, of— heaviness of of sorrow that that grows you just grow in in your in your awareness and your experience with that but also just you know as as a christian and as a pastor i've grown in my awareness of god and who is god and what are his characteristics and what does he promise and and how does he interact with us in his kingdom and the fullness of the the kingdom and it is it is growth in the awareness of both of those things combined that have really increased my desire for his second coming. Be, and, and, but it had to be both, right? Because if I had only grown in knowledge of pain, but not grown in my knowledge of faith and Christ and, and what is going on there, then I would have just moved towards despair. If I had grown in my knowledge of who is Christ and, and his coming and his kingdom, but not grown in my awareness of just heaviness and pain and sorrow, then really I would have moved to, uh, 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 to, to naiveness, um, arrogance, um, just, you know, disconnectedness. But, but it's when we have both, I believe that we grow in hope. That, that when, when we have both the knowledge and the awareness of the sorrow, when we have both the knowledge and the awareness of who is Christ and his power and his resurrection, that we have both of those, that, that we grow in hope. The Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, represents that so well. And, Zach, I would ask you to, to bring those, those words up, and I just want to talk through this slowly. Again, the, um, one of the—I don't, I don't know if it's a, a difficulty, but this, this, this particular hymn is so poetically thick that, that it's easy to move through it very quickly without really savoring the words— or the ideas that it is expressing. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, that, that's a, a title for God we find in Scripture. It means God with us. 
And he gave himself that title. We didn't come up with that, okay? That was his idea. So God describes himself as God with us. So to the God who calls himself God with us, please come. And ransom captive Israel. This was written, I think, in the 1500s or the 1600s. I believe that that the, the person who wrote this was referencing spiritual Israel, referencing the church, not necessarily physical Israel. So I, I believe that, that this is a poetic expression of, of us, of his church, that mourns in lonely exile here. So we, as, as his church, as, as God's people, we are in exile simply because we're not in heaven yet. Right? That's our true home. This is just kind of a bumpy introduction before we enter into true home. And so in, in many ways, it, it's like living in exile, it's like living in captivity. Because of that, it is lonely. We mourn, and we need the God who is with us to ransom us. Ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Until, and this is our state, until the Son of God appears. We are the first time, he's coming back a second time. And we're stuck and here until he comes back. The chorus, rejoice, rejoice. So that's the command to us. You are to rejoice, you are to rejoice, because Emmanuel, the God with us, is coming to you. And he will come to you. And, and in many ways, he's come to us already, I mean, we, through salvation and his Holy Spirit. But there is a more fullness, a more complete coming that is yet to happen. O come thou dayspring. That's another title for God that we find in Scripture. We ask that, that you would come and we ask that you would cheer us up. Cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Your coming here. When you come here, it cheers us up. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. Death's dark shadows put to flight. So, Christ is light. And, and the best that, that death can be is darkness or a shadow. But the thing is that darkness always loses to light. Always. Disperse the cloudy glooms of night and death's dark shadow put to flight by your light, because you are, you are light. O come thou wisdom. So here's another title for God. You are wisdom from on high. James talks about, you know, true wisdom being from heaven. Order all things far and nigh. So, so near, near and, and, and far. Just put things in order. To us the path of knowledge show. Help us grow in that knowledge. And then again, another title for God. These all begin with titles of God. Come desire of nations. Christ is the desire of nations. Bind all people in one heart and mind. Unify us. Unify us. Bid envy, strife, quarrels to cease. So those are, those are interpersonal tensions. Unify us, cause all that to stop, and fill the whole world with your peace. So here's what, we're, what I'd like to do. Um, we're going to do a prayer time. I'm going to ask you to stay seated. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. The thing that is heavy for you, whatever that may be, 
I want you to, to, to picture that, and, and I want you to physically sit and, and hold with, with your hands, just kind of palms up. And in many ways, that thing that is heavy for you, just offer that to God. And the worship team is going to pray over you. But, but they're just also going to include some music as they do it. So I want you to sit quietly. I want you to sit with your eyes closed, with your palms up. The thing that is heavy for you, whatever that may... Maybe there's nothing heavy. That's fine. You don't have to fake it. But presuming that there's something heavy for you, just hold it in your palms, offer it to God, and the worship team is going to pray this song over you. Amen?
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God with us and the God who comes. And so, Lord, this morning as we lay our burdens before you, Lord, this is our prayer. We would experience you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for praying over us this morning. probably just quit right there and call it a morning, but we'll talk about Psalm 27 a bit. This year for Advent, our, our theme is light, and so we've identified various verses or passages that speak of light, specifically God as light. Uh, this morning we're in Psalm 27 as part of our Advent series that has this great phrase at the beginning, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid, which is a, a great line. And since we have this theme of light, this just fit really well. And so we're in Psalm 27, and it's been fantastic to dive into this psalm a little bit more. Like so much of scripture, uh, it is just phenomenally rich, and there's much that, that we could, could talk about. A few kind of fun facts about this psalm. This is actually... In the, fir the first place in all of Scripture where it very clearly um, says the phrase or, or talks about God is like light. Now, in other parts of Scripture, at least before this, there were other times where we see characteristic of God being like light. And, you know, uh, there's, you know, he's like, at one point he kind of manifests himself as, as a pillar of fire. And, and so there's, there's stuff like that. But to actually say God is light, God is my light. That's the first time that this happens in Scripture, which is fascinating because it's in the Psalms and we're, you know, almost halfway through the Bible at, at this point in time. Um, also, according to, um, there, there's a couple of kind of uh, other um, uh, notes kind of outside Scripture that, that say that this was written before David was anointed, so before David was king. Uh, in the Psalm, he talks about enemies chasing him and that kind of thing, and so we're not sure, but we think that then what probably, this was probably written when David was fleeing from Saul. So Saul was the previous king, and he got very mad and jealous about David and tried to hunt him down and kill him. And so um, for a notable part of David's life, he is fleeing, and a group of other men joined with him. And so David and, and his men are, are fleeing um, Saul and, and his men. And so it's in this season of being hunted and being in the wilderness and having to sleep in caves and that kind of thing. So just a little bit of setting of, of what, we, what we think is, is probably going on there. Um, and so all that to say, when we go through this psalm, you know, don't picture, you know, David is doing kind of an, an evening stroll by the, by the palace fountain, right? I mean, when he's writing this, he's probably in some dark cave in the wilderness somewhere thinking how miserable his, his life is. Also, we see in the psalm two, two very different realities. In the psalm, we see a physical reality where David's life is in danger and people hate him and people are pursuing him and trying to kill him. But we also very clearly see this, this spiritual reality where God remains good and, and he is a God that provides and protects and shelters. And David has this incredible awareness around both of these realities. And we see that kind of as a result of this, he is courageous, he is unafraid, and he is confident in the physical reality. 
And the other thing, too, is that we have to appreciate is because David was honest about his situation and, and wrote it down, then we are able to just benefit and learn from that. I'm going to read Psalm 27 in its entirety to you. As I do that, um, listen for, and I will point out just the different transitions that take place throughout the psalm. I mean, he's going to start out very positive, very confident, which is, is going great. Uh, he's going to then talk about who is God and some of his attributes and his desire for that. And then halfway through, he's going to make this, this dramatic shift where he's going to talk about things on earth being really, really hard. And then just in kind of in that last verse or two, he's going to kind of end on, on a positive note. So, so let me read this to you. Uh, these first couple verses, listen for the, the confidence, almost the, the bravado as David writes this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Kind of a rhetorical question. The answer being, no one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Again, no one. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, it is my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will remain confident. Very positive, very strong. Now he's going to talk about God here a little bit. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now he's going to shift, and, and he's going to talk more kind of about the physical realities of his situation and, and how things are pretty difficult. It's almost like his confidence starts to wane or even disappears, because in verse 7 he writes, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. And then he ends with kind of a couple optimistic verses here at the very end. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As I had mentioned earlier, this is the first time in Scripture where, where we really kind of directly see that phrase, oh, the Lord is my light. And I was, very, I was actually surprised by that, to, to see that, that this is the, the first time of that. I mean, we are, we are so accustomed to that um, analogy or, or understanding or imagery of, of God as light or Christ as light. Um, it was surprising to me that it's not until Psalm 27 that we so clearly see it articulated in, in Scripture. I, I mean, it's... It, it's what, a third? Halfway through the Bible. Uh, but in fact, um, actually that phrase, the Lord is my light, apparently, 
um, does, actually doesn't even occur anywhere else in the Old Testament. I mean, to say it so clearly like that, this is the one and only place where it gets named uh, in the Old Testament. I mean, it really isn't until the New Testament where we see that strong association. Uh, last week, Rick Eshbal was here, and we talked through John, and the very opening passage of John associates Jesus with light. And so, you know, for much of us, our faith really kind of began with this understanding of Jesus' light. And in fact, there's actually places in the Old Testament where we see God hiding himself in darkness. You know, because he is so holy, because he is so pure, we, we can't look upon him, and so he hides himself in darkness. Uh, the original, or you know, one of those early encounters in Mount Sinai, it's very terrifying. I mean, he comes on the mountain, and it's lightning and thunder, and no one wants to go near it because they're afraid that they'll die. But now, because we have access through Jesus, we, we see and understand God is light. The, the setting on Psalm 27, things are hard. I mean, David has a good attitude, and so, you know, good job, David. But things are hard. And he longs to be back in the temple worshiping, but he's not. He's probably out sleeping in caves or, or sleeping un, under the open sky. And he's on the run, right? And so... You know, it's nighttime and there's darkness, and then morning is just going to bring more people hunting him down, trying to kill him. So it's, you know, probably not a very good night's sleep. What I find fascinating is that it's in this place of darkness and fleeing and of struggle, and it is not in the spiritual high of being at the temple that, that he longs for. It is in this place, it is sleeping in the caves that David has this new and unique understanding of God never before expressed in Scripture. It is in the darkness of night and in the fear of being pursued that David, for the first time in Scripture, understands God as light and God as refuge. It was in the valleys, it was in the darkness... It was in the fear, it was in the hardship that David understands a part of God never before understood. God is light. God is my light. 2020 has, you know, it's had some rough spots, to put it mildly. Between COVID and riots and shutdowns and politics and Funerals and, and whatever personal medical issues and family issues. I mean, we know that God is wonderful. We know that he provides salvation. We, we know that in the end God wins. But, but, but in the in-between, the in between here and between then, things can be kind of tough. It was in this difficult time that David... I don't know if pioneered is, is the right word, but, but I'm not sure a, a, of a better word. Perhaps first to realize. It was in this dark time that, in Scripture, David was the first to realize that God is light. Scripture actually has a lot of names for God. Sometimes they don't get translated as, as, as much as, as they should, which is too bad. But Scripture actually has a lot of different names for God. And so I would begin by asking you, what, what part of God do you need this Advent? Do you need El Shaddai, which means the Lord God Almighty? Do you need Emmanuel, God with us? 
Do you need, and I'm going to butcher the Greek, my apologies, do you need El Elyon, the Most High God? Do you need Adonai, Lord and Master? Do you need Yahweh, Lord and Jehovah? Do you need Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner? Do you need Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd? Do you need Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals? Do you need Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there? Do you need Jehovah um, Tizkenu, the Lord our righteousness? Jehovah Mekodishim, the Lord who sanctifies you? Do you need El Olam, the everlasting God? Elohim, God, Kwana, jealous. Do you need Jehovah Jireh? The Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Or the uh, Lord of hosts would be another way of saying um, uh, a general of, of the angelic armies. David has incredible clarity in this passage around two things the physical reality and the spiritual reality, and he sees both very clearly. Um, David's physical reality, let me just pull out a few phrases on, on his physical reality. Evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, adversaries and foes, an army encamp against me, war rise against me. I cry aloud, hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger, don't cast me off, don't forsake me. My father and my mother have forsaken me. We actually know they didn't, so that's some kind of analogy. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. But then listen to this spiritual reality. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. My adversaries stumble and fall. My heart shall not fear. I will be confident dwell in the house of the Lord forever all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord inquire in his temple he will hide me in his shelter he will conceal me under the cover of his tent he will lift me up upon a rock my head shall be lifted up I will offer sacrifices I will offer shouts of joy I will sing and make melodies to the Lord I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living Recently, Erland Heeson passed away. That's our physical reality. But what's, what's the spiritual reality for him? And how do we acquire that, that spiritual perspective? How does that affect our worldview? Paul Buller passed away this week. That's the physical reality. But what's the spiritual reality? And, and how do we acquire that Perspective and how do we have that worldview? We will most likely get a, a new president and a new vice president here shortly. Christians have mixed reactions on that. But that is the physical reality. But what is our spiritual reality? And, and how do we embrace that spiritual reality and, and understand that? We have loved ones who have been locked away in a nursing home for eight, nine months now, probably several more months to go. 
easily be a year before this whole thing is said and done. That's our physical reality. But what's the spiritual reality, and how do we embrace that spiritual reality? How do we help them remember and embrace that spiritual reality? Marriages can be hard. Some are struggling. Some are failing. Some spouses are proving to be rather difficult. That's a physical reality. But what's, what's the spiritual reality, and, and how do we embrace that spiritual reality? Even, even small things, right? I mean, how do we make day-to-day decisions around finances? And, and am I honoring those around me? And, and are we raising our kids right? And that sin that I've been struggling with for so long, why is that still a hang-up for me, right? Like, those are the physical realities, but what's, what's the spiritual reality? And how do we remember that and embrace that? David was very honest about his physical reality but also incredibly knowledgeable and honest about that spiritual reality as well. One of the things that I've kind of struggled with a little bit in this passage as well, too, is, you know, David speaks so confidently about being kept safe, and he he speaks so confidently about his enemies failing in in, uh, attacking him, especially in in that first part. And, And I wrestle with that a little bit because I go, okay, how much of that confidence can we apply to our our own life right i mean he he speaks very boldly kind of in the physical realm about being kept safe and you know so on on the one side you would have the prosperity gospel which would say well that god wants you to be happy and he wants you to be successful in everything and and if you just have enough faith you're going to be financially wealthy and, and physical healthy and so they would probably take some of those sections of this verse and just run with it and say this all can be yours and in fullness, that, that here on earth you'll never have to suffer. And, but then on the other side, you, you kind of have almost more of a pessimistic perspective that says, meh, you know, the whole thing's a metaphor and we're all going to die and there's no victory until heaven. I, neither of those I find acceptable. <laughs> I, I, we live somewhere in the in-between. In Scripture, we hear remarkable stories of God protecting his people and and of the enemies of God, you know, coming to ruin. But but we also have stories of incredible suffering and even death. And Hebrews 11 is a great place for that. I mean, you look, it has all these men and women of faith. And if you look towards the end, there's one paragraph. And in the first half, they all, you know, succeeded and things went great and they were saved from their enemies. And you look at the second half of the paragraph and they all died. I think the the roots or the heart of Psalm 27 is actually verse 4. I, I think this is the, the place where a lot of this confidence and, and this perspective sprouts from. One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Commentaries are, are a bit mixed, but it, it seems that, that, that David, is, that this isn't a physical request, like he doesn't actually want to get an apartment inside the physical earthly temple, that this is a, a prophetic spiritual statement. I mean, he's talking about e- eternity here, to dwell forever in the temple of the Lord. And that the Lord was everything David needed. The Lord was light, so we need not fear the darkness. The Lord is strength and stronghold, so we need not 
need not fear our weakness. God is salvation, and so victory is guaranteed. And that, that verse 4 is, is kind of a Hebrew way of talking about abiding with Christ, which we see in, in the New Testament as well, too. When David says something like, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall, I don't think we, we can universally apply that to Christians like, like the gospel, like the prosperity gospel would offer. But I do think, though, that as we walk closer and closer with God, we have increased clarity simply on, on what our status is and when God will come to, to physical rescue and, or whether it may be a spiritual rescue and when we are victorious. You know, while we're on earth, we, we exist as dual citizens, right? Citizens on earth, citizens in heaven. And, and sometimes we, we think of eternity, you know, and we think, well, we have this physical life, and then there's some kind of spiritual retirement plan. But, but if you look at, at the scope of eternity, and I mean, what is 10,000 years, and what is 20,000 years, and what is 50,000 years, Really, we are spiritual beings. We just kind of have this, this very kind of brief physical introduction. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and I'm going to pray. This last song, again, I would offer that, that this be your prayer of thanksgiving. Previously, the, the worship team prayed over you, and, and I would invite you to approach this song as a prayer as well, too. A prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of worship, a prayer of hope. We're going to pray together. It just so happens that there's going to be music happening while we do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, as we prepare to sing, that this would be our prayer to you. Thank you that you are our light and our salvation. Lord, help us to have that, that dual perspective that's so very honest about our physical reality and yet saturated in hope about our spiritual reality. We're so very thankful. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.